You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, Cardinal fans. I'm Ozzie Smith. Smith corks one into right down the line. It may go. And you're listening to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Here's your host, Brett McMillan. Hello and welcome. July 3rd edition of the program. I'm Brett McMillan. Happy 4th of July, whether you're listening to it today on the 3rd or maybe on the 4th or afterwards. Happy 4th to you wherever you are in relation to the holiday. And as we celebrate the 4th, we're also coming off a celebration of 10,000 wins for the St. Louis Cardinals franchise. Bill DeWitt III, team president, joins us to discuss that in just a bit. And a little later, we catch up with Kurt Warner. He sat down with me earlier this season during Kurt Warner Night at the ballpark. We discuss St. Louis as a community and as a sports town, his baseball experience as a kid, and what it's been like now to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, a discussion with Kurt Warner in just a little bit. But before we get to that, I want to remind you that on Friday, July the 13th, 30,000 fans 16 and older take home a cowboy hat featuring the Birds on the Bat logo. It's courtesy of Brown and Crouppen. Get your July 13th Cardinals versus Reds tickets at cardinals.com promotions. Know the cowboy hat was incredibly popular last year. I imagine it will be again this year. Again, it's July the 13th, 30,000 fans, 16 and older. It's a cowboy hat with the Birds on the Bat logo, courtesy of Brown and Crouppen, and you can get your tickets at cardinals.com slash promotions. All right, our first interview today, and I know that we've got two interviews going that don't necessarily connect, but hey, it's a podcast, and it's all about Cardinal baseball in one form or another, so I hope that you can roll with me. I know it's a little random, but two interviews, one of them I've wanted to get in for a while, and Kurt Warner, and the other one just kind of timely with the the Cardinals eclipsing 10,000 wins. And that is our first interview today with team president Bill DeWitt III. He's been president of the Cardinals since 2008, but intimately involved with the club and its business dealings since his family took over as majority owners in 1996. Bill isn't just president of the Cardinals. He is also one of the most knowledgeable people about baseball history that I've ever come across in my life. He really has a passion for the history of the game, a passion for the history of this franchise. He wants to honor the legacy. We talk a little bit about that, his family wanting to value the legacy and leave it in a good place just as they found it. They certainly have done that with the way they have won in recent years. So he is kind of because of his respect and knowledge about baseball history and the fact that he's a baseball collector of baseball memorabilia, he's just got a a wide and deep knowledge of the history of this game, and I think that makes him a very important and unique person to be able to talk about 10,000 wins at what it means for any franchise, but specifically the one that he captains here in St. Louis. If you've forgotten the exact details, here's what that 10,000th win sounded like on June 25th. It was a 4-0 victory over the Cleveland Indians at Bush Stadium. Bud Norris on the mound with two outs in the ninth. Danny Mack on the call for Fox Sports Midwest. Soft liner, they should do it. Double play. Regular season win number 10,000 for the St. Louis Cardinals in franchise history. 
Now, just to clarify, because I'm sure that some of you who are uh, kind of paying attention to things probably are asking these questions in your head. So let me clarify now. The Cardinals have won 10,000 regular season games since joining the National League in 1892. The franchise does predate that 1892 year, and I'm going to talk about that with Bill in just a couple of moments. I began by asking him, why 10,000 wins is an important benchmark in the scope of not just Cardinal history, but baseball history in general. Well, 10,000 wins is quite the milestone. Um, and I'm just glad we have more wins than losses, right? <laughs> um, it's a pretty good number over 500, I think like 600 or something. But, um, you know, it's, um, it's just a big round number. And, you know, to think about getting to 10,000, it's going to obviously take over 100 years, right? And so um, this is our 126th season in the National League. And, you know, it was a pretty good century and a quarter to get to 10,000. So, um, no, but I think it's, it just reminds us how historic this franchise is. Um, the fact that every one of those wins came from a team that is based in St. Louis. Half of those wins probably were just about were here. So, you know, I think... It's just a reminder of how long the Cardinals have been around. And um, it is more wins than losses, which is nice, but the, the significance of it is how big and round that number is and what that means for a franchise that's been here for multiple generations. What do you think people need to understand about what it takes to, to make those wins happen? Folks come, they, they see the effort on the field, they understand that a lot goes into that behind the scenes, but having you know, been leading the effort here for, for years and being behind a lot of those wins, what do you think people need to know about the organization as a whole and, and what it takes to put that winning product there? Well, I think it changes. It's always evolving and changing uh, what it takes to be a winner in the major leagues. and. Um, you know, going all the way back to the uh, 20s and 30s when Branch Rickey first built the farm system, you know, it took innovation and it took uh, vision to change the model in baseball so that a smaller market like St. Louis could compete and, and, um, and reach the ultimate goal, which was to win a World Series. In 1926, it happened for the first time. Um, and then a, a, a million iterations along the way, but here we are in the present day, 10,000 wins later, and you realize that there's so much competition out there. Um, I mean, every, every win is against a one team, so it, whether it's 50-50 or the other, a little better or worse, depending on um, how good a team is that year. Uh, but, you know, to have a winning season year after year really is a hard task to accomplish because the system works against consistently being competitive. If you think about it, you have a good team and then you pick last in the draft. Um, your players succeed on the field and then they get raises at a greater rate than perhaps a team not doing as well with lesser players. Um, and then there's some other things that stack against you to be a winner every year. So I think consistently competitive teams are hard to come by in today's game and that's what we're all trying to achieve um, and when you get to a big round number of wins it kind of reminds you that um, the Cardinals have been doing this pretty successfully for a long time. 
you've had a few very successful decades too since your family took over as majority owners. For you and, and for your dad to have been a part of so many of those wins and to see this very historic you know, benchmark come off the board under your leadership, what does that mean to the two of you on, on maybe more of a personal note? Well, I think anytime you get involved in an organization like a professional sports team, you want to make your mark. And um, usually that's measured by championships or winning seasons. And uh, certainly we've been fortunate to have a couple of those as well as a bunch of winning seasons. And But it also makes you realize that uh, the longer you're in it, that it's hard to stay on top. And so we're kind of constantly running scared, trying to make sure we're on the cutting edge of innovation or um, development or drafting, scouting, you name it, all those things. And so um, it's hard to stop and really, you know, count the uh, the wins or the championships when you're still trying to, to get more of them. But once in a while, these milestones do allow you to pause and kind of say, you know, this was fun to be a part of it. I think I've heard you before say that, that you've always viewed yourself and, and the people at the top levels here as kind of stewards of Cardinal history, that this is the era that you hold and, and your responsibility to, to leave things and to make it as great as the people who've gone before. Why is that a, a posture that's always been important to you to, to uphold is, you know, making sure you're taking care of the brand? Yeah, I think, um, Anybody that sits in my seat or my father's is keenly aware of the history of the Cardinals because um, they've had so many great eras. Um, if you look at the banners out there uh, in the stadium, they represent multiple generations, the 20s, the 30s, uh, 40s, 60s, 80s, and now recent 2000s. And so each of those eras was special in its own right. Um, and of course, there were other eras that might not have led to a world championship, but that were very distinct and successful. And so to think that um, uh, you know, your era is any better than another one is, is a little too um, presumptuous for us. So I think we like to be able to fit into that and to be um, considered to be an era that matches up with some of those great ones that we know about in the past is really an honor from your time, your tenure with the ball club, and it's, it's only the regular season wins, of course, that count, but do you have a favorite of those 10,000 wins? I'm sure it would be hard to pick just one. Wow, a regular season, because the question usually is my favorite game, and you pick a few cases in 2006 or 2011, it's pretty easy. Uh, but a regular season win, that's hard to say. I would. I think probably the one that was most distinctive for me was that last home game in 2006 that was sort of hanging in the balance. The season was hanging, and our playoff chances were hanging in the balance. And I just remember um, kind of going down into the uh, underneath the seats and looking at a monitor to see what the Astros were doing and. Um, it was just one of those things where, you know, it was either going to be nothing or we had a real shot at maybe making a run because all the guys had gotten healthy again at the end of that season. And sure enough, things tipped in our favor on that last day. And then we went on to win it all. It was um, looking back on it, it was even a bigger deal than it felt at the time, but it felt like a big deal. Once we hit 10,000, anything else you think is, is pertinent that we haven't covered that 
fans should know uh, about the achievement? Well, the one thing about 10,000, and Derek Gould did a nice job of this in the Post-Dispatch, spelling out how um, you could actually argue that it's more than 10,000 because from about 1882 to 1892, um, there was, um, it was the same team, you know, the same owner and so forth, um, and it bounced around into a couple different leagues, but um, the Cardinals or the... Um, the, the brown stockings, as, as they were known back then, actually won a championship in 1886 and had a tie in one of them in those years and I think was runner-up in a couple more. So there really was, I consider that an era, a championship era of, our, of this franchise. It's just that we don't hang those banners because MLB has a hard time recognizing who the champions were based on these different leagues and things uh, before the National League was founded in 19, 1892. So I think there's, um, it's kind of a fun debate to have. Uh, 10,000 is, is National League wins, but um, the real number is, is bigger than that, and there are a couple championships in there, and I think it's fun for fans who are interested in the history to read up on it, and we even have some things in our museum that celebrate those early championships that, that predate the official 1892 date, but are very much a part of this franchise as well. A big thank you to Mr. DeWitt for his time. He is always just instant offense for us and very kind when it comes to both the podcast and Cardinals Insider TV. Some of his comments from that interview, by the way, are a part of a television piece that is going out, I believe, on July the 8th. So that's this coming weekend if you're listening to the podcast when it was recorded the the week of July the 3rd. Check local listings on that, by the way, if you'd like to see it at cardinals.com slash insider, or you can see our Cardinals Insider TV work by going to cardinals.com slash video, and you can also visit the Cardinals YouTube channel. Just hop on YouTube and type in St. Louis Cardinals channel. Shifting gears now to Kurt Warner, and as I mentioned earlier, I know that he's a football figure, and this is a baseball podcast and I know that our listenership does extend beyond St. Louis. I've even heard before from Cardinal fans that listen from Europe, whether they're serving in the military or maybe just living abroad. So I know that not everybody lives in St. Louis, but I would like to think that everyone who listens to the show probably is just a sports fan in general at some level. And Kurt's phenomenal Hall of Fame NFL career certainly makes this topic germane to you. Plus, I mean, the Cardinals do play in St. Louis, and I thought Kurt said some really nice uh, things about this community, and he did it in a way that was very succinct and I thought very much on point, and that makes this relevant to you as a Cardinal fan as well. Kurt gave me probably 10 minutes or so during uh, Kurt Warner night at the ballpark. I got to sit with him and just chat. I mean, he couldn't have been more gracious with his time, sat there, and I probably could have gone longer if I really had wanted to, but I wanted to respect the time that he had given us. Just a reminder, because I know it's been a while, even for those of us who, who live and grew up here in St. Louis, but Warner played in 12 different NFL seasons. Of course, that started with the then St. Louis Rams. He won two MVPs during his time in the NFL, and he was the Super Bowl MVP in 1999-2000 as the Rams uh, triumphed over the Tennessee Titans down in Atlanta, Georgia, to win that Super Bowl. Kurt threw out the first pitch on Kurt Warner night, and he got a really nice round of applause from the fans that were assembled before he headed out to the mound, the typical standing ovation. He saluted the crowd, looked and, and waved in all directions, 
it was just a really nice moment, I think, for anybody that watched him play during his time here in St. Louis to get that chance to say thank you in that way. And, and this isn't the first time since he retired even that he's been back. But I think that getting the chance to do that as St. Louis sports fans probably means a lot to a lot of people. And I asked Kurt, what does that moment mean to him? I mean, over a decade since he played football in this town, and yet he can come back and St. Louis sports fans still give him that kind of reception. I mean, it's, it's always great to come back. I mean, we just, my wife and I and our family just have such a special place in our heart for St. Louis. And, you know, you throw the whole name out, but the people here, the people here are so incredible and have meant so much to us from day one when I came on the scene and nobody knew who I was. They supported me um, being gone a decade and to watch how they support us in all of our programs and everything that we do it is always special to come back. And so, um, you know, I'm not always into the, the fanfare and you know, the bobbleheads and everything, but when somebody from St. Louis asks you to come back and, and say they want to recognize you, it's always to me an opportunity to recognize them and recognize the people of St. Louis and say thanks to them because they were such a huge part of everything that we do. So, um, so t- tonight, it's it just another great moment. And, you know, the hope is that this relationship's this relationship stays intact for years to come and we'll have more great moments like this. You kind of answered it uh, there to a point, but you know, you guys have chosen to stay involved from a charitable sense in this community. Yeah. And I mean, it'd be easy to, to unplug and I don't think anyone would blame you, but you've chosen to, to stay plugged in. How come? Well, I mean, you say chosen to, to, to stay plugged in. I mean, the crazy thing is that you can't do anything really from a charitable standpoint without the community coming along with you. You know, we couldn't have a presence here in the community if if they didn't want to come along or if they didn't help us do what we're doing. And that to me is why we stay involved. We said, you know, because of the relationship we had, as long as the door stays open, we're going to continue to walk through it. And, um, and it has stayed open. I mean, the people here have kicked it open. I mean, we, you know, do Warner's warm up, which we started when, we, when I was playing here and we get a better turnout. We have uh, more sponsors. We have more drop off locations now than we ever did when we were here. I mean, it's that kind of stuff where you're like, we ain't leaving until they kick us out. I mean, as long as they want to continue to support their community and we can lend our hand or we can lend our platform to it, we're going to do it. So when I look at the, the stuff that we do here, it's really more about the community saying, we'll support whatever. We want to support the rest of our community in whatever way we can. And we're able to just kind of lend our name to it or, or bring a little notoriety to it. But we're just so grateful, and the hearts of the people here in St. Louis is what makes us come back year after year after year, and will make us, it will help us to continue to come back until uh, until at some point they say, okay, you're done, and, and we'll move on to somebody else. And you kind of led where I was going, but when people, whether they're in the football world or outside of it, say, hey, what about St. Louis? Well, what do you tell them that you think they need to understand about this community? Well, I mean, the thing is, is that I got to see the pinnacle of everything. You know, everybody, you know, will come here and you'll see a night like tonight on the diamond and everybody's like, yeah, it's a great sports town, but it's a baseball town. And when I came here, I thought the same thing and everybody told me the same thing. Is that, yeah, we have football, but it's a baseball town. Well, I tell you what, I saw for, for three years that it's a great sports town and you know, as things were going good for us on the football field, I mean, this city became a a football town. And that to me is what it's all about. Great sports towns are about backing whatever sports team they had, uh, you know, win, lose, or draw. And and I've seen that firsthand. And so, so disappointing that they don't have 
a football team, you know, because so much of my career and all of my career with the Rams was right here in this city. And so my home uh, is not the home to the team anymore. You know, this great sports city uh, twice now has had teams taking for, taken from them when I know how incredible they can be at supporting, uh, you know, any sports team. And so that's what you tell them. And my hope is that the great people here get another opportunity uh, to be able to support you know, all the teams, but, but another pro football team. We put you in that gold jacket for the bobblehead. Are, <laughs> are you getting used to that, or is that still surreal to, to see yeah, that? Yeah, it's still, you know, it's still a little odd, you know. And I think when you grow up watching all these great players and wanting to emulate them, and you dream of, of joining them in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but when you actually get there and they announce your name and you're looking at, you know, and you're standing in a room with all these guys that have gold jackets, you're like, and I don't know if I belong here. I, I don't know if I fit in this group. So I'm still trying to grasp how I fit into that whole thing. Uh, but the bottom line is it's, it's an incredible ending to an amazing story. And that's how I look at it is that, you know, now I have the humble beginnings and the craziness of getting there. And then I've got the pinnacle at the, you know, the top of the mountain at the end. And my hope is that I can continue to use that story from beginning to end to inspire people to say, hey, you know, what you might think is impossible is possible. And I'm a living example of that. Uh, no matter what goes against you, no matter what people say, no matter how hard it is at times, uh, that you can find yourself at the top of the mountain when it's all said and done. The staff that was in place and then also just the community mm -hmm. warming up to that team, why was St. Louis maybe the right place for you coming where you came from and ending up in, in that season where you ended up in 99 and it you know, took off and yeah. became Hall of Fame credentials? Well, I think you know, the, the people here and what we keep coming back to is the heart of the people, the morals, the values of the people are about you know, wanting to support uh, people that are, that are similar to them, that believe what they believe. And, and I think that's why it was so key is you know, for me coming from nowhere to here, maybe a little smaller market, but a market of people that believed in who I was, not just what I did on the football field, but what I was all about and what our family values were and what we wanted to represent that was bigger than the game of football. And, and I think that's why we were so similar, you know, the people here and what they believe was so similar to who we were as a family that it was like a, a perfect fit, um, you know, the way everything worked together. And, and I think why we still have the relationship we do because we just connect. We connect with what this community is all about. Not just a quarterback, but an athlete. Were you a baseball player growing up? Uh, I was. Uh, I, I played everything. I was a, a guy that whatever season it was, I couldn't wait to play. So I played football, I played basketball, and played baseball. I, I, I loved baseball, and I loved, you know, back in the day, it was all summer long. I know, you know, out in Arizona now, it's not in the, but it was all summer long, and I couldn't wait to play. And, you know, it's crazy because none of my boys ever played baseball. So when I went out to throw the first pitch, I never pick up a baseball. I never throw a baseball because my boys don't. Uh, but it was ingrained. It was part of, of my childhood growing up was when baseball season came around, we, we were out there and we were playing in the tournaments and, and, and loved every bit of it. What just a true gentleman. And if you're from St. Louis, you've got to appreciate those kind remarks about our community and about the sports atmosphere here in town. Uh, I thought that it was really classy of Kurt Warner just heeping that praise on the city of St. Louis and this whole region. As you heard, Warner still does his annual coat drive here in St. Louis. If you want to learn more about that or potentially even donate for this upcoming winter, 
you can head to kurtwarner.org slash warmup. Hey, fun giveaway coming up on Saturday, July the 14th. 30,000 fans, 16 and older, are going to take home a limited edition bobblehead celebrating Adam Wainwright's 2017 Silver Slugger Award. That is courtesy of SSM Health Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital. Tickets at cardinals.com slash promotions. 200 of those bobbleheads are going to be painted completely silver to highlight Wayno's achievement. So maybe if you come on through the turnstiles while everybody, 30,000 fans, 16 and older, is going to get a bobblehead, you might be one of 200 to get one of those special silver ones. That would be pretty cool. We appreciate you listening. want to remind you that you can listen or subscribe to past episodes, cardinals.com slash podcast. In recent weeks, we've chatted with Dan McLaughlin, Ben Hockman, Brian Jordan, Jason Mott, members of the 68 Cardinals who won the National League pennant. We're honoring them this summer, and we talked to many others as well, current Cardinals, Cardinals from the past, people that are just in some way notable within the scope of Cardinal Nation. If you want to go back and see what you've missed, you can check it out, cardinals.com slash podcast, or search Cardinals Insider in iTunes. We've got our very own feed. You can subscribe and make sure that you never miss an episode as we do come out weekly here during the baseball season. And of course, and I genuinely do mean this, I would love to hear if you have a guest that you would like to hear. I can't always guarantee that we'll get them, but I will really do my best to try to get them on the program. Send me those suggestions or any other thoughts that you have. Shoot me a note, podcast, with an S, podcast, at cardinals.com. Next week, my good buddy Alex Ferrario from the Cardinal Radio Network joins me. He handles weekend pre- and post-game duties. He's going to hop on as we discuss all these walk-offs during the first half of 2018. I know that there has been some adversity this season, but boy, those have been fun nights at the ballpark. I want to say there have been seven of them, maybe eight, so far as I speak. We're going to play the audio from television, from radio, relive those moments, talk about if Alex was on the radio call for any of those games, and just kind of chat about the fun that that is, the magic of the walk-off, and what it's been like so far this year, just maybe a few more than usual, and we're going to relive it next week on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Until then, for Bill DeWitt III, Kurt Warner, I'm Brett McMillan. Great to have you as always. Appreciate you listening. Happy 4th of July. We'll catch you next time on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.